Welcome to the Cutting Onions Podcast, episode 57. Today, we feature a super fun conversation with Shara Kanzler. Shara is the editor of FastCasual.com and the VP of Events for NetWorld Media. Shara leads some of the most attended events in the restaurant industry and provides opportunities for leaders from every restaurant segment to get together, learn from each other, share best practices, and have a whole lot of fun while they're doing it. In this conversation, Shara shares her unique insights into the restaurant industry, how things have evolved over the pandemic, and what's next for Fast Casual. We also debate what is Fast Casual and what it isn't when it comes to having a restaurant experience. This conversation was an absolute blast, and it was a pleasure having Shara on the podcast with me and Miles. We have a couple of fun outtakes you can listen to after the episode, which really show how much fun we had. So without any further delay, here is our conversation with Shara Kanzler, editor of fastcasual.com and VP of events for NetWorld Media. And we'll see you on the other side. My name is Shara Kanzler. I am the editor of Fast Casual and the vice president of events for NetWorld Media Group, which is our parent company. NetWorld Media has several online magazines, including fastcasual.com, pizza marketplace, food truck operator, qsrweb.com, and several tech uh, magazines, online magazines as well. And then we have several events that we put on um, each year where we bring industry leaders together for networking and educational sessions. And so I've been with the company about 10 years now. I started out as, I would like to say, a, like a junior editor for one of our tech sites and just kind of worked my way up. Um, have a journalism background. I've always loved writing. And then I've just kind of fallen in love with the restaurant industry. And I write about the fast casual industry every day. Um, And part of that work included, you know, hosting the fast casual executive summit and our franchising summits. And I really ended up loving that area. So when the opportunity came to take over all of our events, I, I jumped at that chance. But I'm still a little bit of a control freak and can't give up my baby, which is fast casual. So I'm kind of doing both for the, you know, that for the foreseeable future, I never want to give up fast casual. So that's kind of where I'm at. I, I, I'm a juggler, I would say. Well, that's what I was going to ask. How in the world do you keep it all together? That's a lot to manage. That's a lot <laughs> to work with. Yeah, it's crazy, but I work from home in my office in Kansas City. Um, our office is in Louisville. So we have an office there, but I work from home and I have for the last decade. So, you know, when people were transitioning to work from home through the pandemic, that really wasn't anything new for me. So I was able to adjust to that pretty quickly, other than the not traveling as much. Um, But yeah, I've kind of just honed it down. And my ADD is a a blessing, I think, allows me to multitask. (laughs) And so, you know, I'm just, it's kind of organized chaos. Got it. Did you feel any of the weight from the pandemic when everyone was working more remotely? Obviously, it didn't affect you as much, but how did things change for you during that time? So what changed for me mostly was the events because that was my big focus and our company, you know, we're very um, reliant on those in-person events. And so, you know, in March 2020, we had to cancel our Restaurant Franchising Innovation Summit literally three days before um, we were supposed to take off because we were all kind of still in denial, like, oh, it's, you know, it's going to be fine. We'll, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. So then, you know, three days into it, we had to cancel that entire event. Right. Um, 
So that was very challenging working with sponsors and speakers and trying to get, you know, everybody on the same page. And then, you know, we couldn't go, we couldn't have in-person events for a year and a half. So we had to transition to a lot of virtual events. We have a fast casual top 100 gala that we do every year where we recognize the top brands in the world. And we usually do that during the NRA show in Chicago with like a really fancy, wonderful gala, but we had to do that for the past two years virtually. And it's just like, how do you make that exciting? How do you make an award ceremony worth watching, you know, when someone's going to watch it on their computer for two hours? So there's just a lot of juggling, you know, just like everybody. Absolutely. So editor of fastcasual.com. So, you know, man, that's like, that seems like a very exotic, awesome job, you know? And so explain <laughs> that away. It is exotic. No, I'm just yeah, <laughs> exactly. Kind of, you know, for, for the listeners, just, you know, kind of describe what that is. What, what, what do you do and what is a, you know, day or week in the life of? So it's actually not, that part is not that exotic. It's a lot of just work mm-hmm. at my computer. So I start my day in the morning by like checking email, like everybody else does. And then I comb the wires and, you know, my contacts for news. So my job is to report on the fast casual news of the day. So, you know, I write five to eight news briefs about, so when, you know, Freddie's just opened here and Chipotle reported their earnings. And so that kind of stuff, um, just keeping everybody up to date. And then we try to do more in-depth features when we can, you know, dissecting like leadership skills or, um, you know, tech trends, things like that. So it's just me interviewing and emailing and talking to people all day long, which I love because I love to talk and email and write. So, um, so then I take all that information and turn it into stories and we put it up and, um, you know, that's about it, but it, it's, it takes, it takes a, a quite a while, but you know, it's something I love to do. So it, it's, it's not terribly difficult when you like what you're doing. I'm so always fascinated. You, oh, no, I'm sorry, Miles, go ahead. So as, as you've seen over the last, you know, two plus years, what's been happening in the restaurant business, and then as what we've been doing to come out of it and, and kind of this acceleration into technology, you know, as you've been watching this, what, what's been your uh, perspective on it and what, what have you seen from kind of the outside looking in on how, how the maybe change restaurant business? So I'm sure I don't have to tell you to because you're in the trenches, but, you know, obviously a huge focus on off-premise, online ordering, mobile payments, um, even, you know, kiosk orderings picked up again right after the, the pandemic happened. Um, you know, just a lot of people pivoting when you couldn't get your customers in store. So you had to get them, you know, you had to serve them delivery or carry out. So a lot of that, and I see a lot of the restaurants tapping different companies, vendor technology companies to help them with that. Um, and now I think that customers are used to that. I And I th- obviously people are going back to restaurants, but I don't think, you know, we're going to take a back seat with carry out. I think it's still going to people got used to hanging out at their house and some people really love that. So I think that all the restaurants are doing both now, you know, being really great at off-premise, but they also want to have their people come back in the stores too. Yeah. And for this, you know, this third party DSP, the the delivery, they'll pay a lot more to hang out at their house. And and yeah, (laughs) 
for sure. We're, we're shocked every day how much more people will pay to. I know, especially when you're hungover the next morning <laughs> and you really want that Taco Bell that you can't get behind the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, uh, and I mean, let's be honest, what is better than Taco Bell if you wake up with a hangover in the morning? Exactly. Come on. <laughs> uh, you know, it's really fascinating to me when I think about the industry and everything you just went through and just talked about and highlighted, Shara, I, I just, it's almost like who wrote the rule that you couldn't serve alcohol to go, right? Because right. all of a sudden we could, right? All of a sudden <laughs> all yeah. the local, you know, cities and the municipalities were like, oh, maybe we can do that, you know? And we'll wait, we'll waive that rule for six months. Exactly. Okay, let's add it. Let's waive it for another six months. Exactly. And I think that's really interesting. And I think that just that example there makes me think about what are the other things that the that we should be doing in the industry that we haven't done because we just don't do that sort of thing. And I don't know what those things are, or I don't know how many there are. I just think that that's a great example of, of, of having to change the way we do business. Or, I mean, there's some people in this industry that are very alcohol heavy and mm -hmm. you have to sell alcohol if you're going to stay open, right? Yeah. That that's just the reality. So I just think it's interesting that that wasn't allowed, but now it's allowed. And there's still restaurants that are still doing that even now. Right. So, um, you know, I just think that's really interesting. Yeah. And like with the whole marketing behind it too, you know, I remember last year, my favorite local Mexican restaurant here was like, oh, okay, we're going to do margaritas in a bag. And, you know, <laughs> we, sh we showed up for it and they brought it out to our, to our car. And I'm like, okay, I'm holding an open container in the car, but I guess yeah. it's okay. Yeah, I yeah, mean, exactly. there's a lid on it. <laughs> well, I, I'm, in, I'm envisioning a Ziploc. Like, you know, margarita in a bag. Like, <laughs> right, right. Like how you have Coke in Mexico, like Coca-Cola, they serve the soft drinks in the in the Ziploc bags, you know, whatever works. Whatever it works. Is, it is really interesting to me to think about all of that and, and where we are now. And we talk a lot on this podcast about technology and not wanting to swing too far the other way, where it becomes all contactless, all touchless, uh, you know, when we had Betsy Ham on a few weeks ago, uh, she really uh, had a passionate point of view on that, you know, from Duck Donuts. Uh, and, and uh, you know, are we swinging too far the other way? Are, are we, you know, is really a kiosk what the guest wants or is what is it what we think that they want? So it is an interesting argument or, or it's an interesting thing to, you know, talk about because I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but, but I do walk into some restaurants sometimes and I go, really? Like, is this what we've kind of digressed to? Yeah. I think it just, from what I've been interviewing and talking to different brands, I really think it's just, there's not an, a, a specific answer for everything. Every brand is different. So there are some brands here that I definitely don't want to talk to any humans like I'm happy to go in <laughs> order at the kiosk or order on my mobile phone yes I'm gonna I I'm, gonna, I'm gonna watch look at your articles to see if I can figure out which brands those are <laughs> <laughs> well I mean you know it's just like okay well Starbucks for example I'm in my car and I want to mobile order my drink I don't need to talk to them I I have my favorite order already on my app just do it push it then I send my kid in <laughs> to go grab it he does, I don't, he, you know, my 12 year old, I'm like, okay, go get our Starbucks. He comes out. <laughs> Just make me my coffee. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I want. But there are other restaurants that you do want to go in and sit down and have the experience of the whole, like, 
server coming to, you know, tell you the specials and all of that. So I think what I'm seeing is that restaurants are having to do, they're having to be good at all of that. So some customers are going to want no contact and other customers are going to, you know, that might be the only contact they get that day is the employee at the restaurant. So I, I think that everybody has to be everything. I agree. I, I, I think that's a really excellent point too, is that you do go to different restaurants for different reasons. And, you know, certainly I could see you not want to talk to anyone at Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Nothing against Starbucks. It's just the experience yeah, yeah, right, to right. get in and get absolutely. out quickly. No, absolutely. And you don't have to, yeah, no, no, I get it. I'm well, just having heart palpitations thinking about that. So, yeah. yeah. And, and that perspective is interesting because on our end, we are trying to figure out, I think brand to brand to brand, you're spot on where we are trying to figure out and, and remove ourselves from being in the brand and get what the guest really wants from us to, to be able to deliver that. And that's what, that's the tricky part is you look, you look next door and you can't just copy what they're doing because maybe the guest wants something different from them or wants a different experience from them. And so as this technology has just taken off and, and, you know, we, we talk on here that for, for decades, you know, we've heard about robotics, but nothing's there. And all of a sudden the pandemic hits and this, the, you know, technology just starts zooming. And now you're left with trying to figure out what's for you. What do you invest in? What should you be doing? What is your, like we said, your guests really want from you and experience from you. And I think that's the, that's the spot we're in. You see all those, those, uh, memes and stuff where it says you are here you know in, in a life cycle of something and i think that's where we're at we're at the spot where we're trying to figure out how to how does the end user want to use us in the end absolutely you know sherry you talk to a lot of industry leaders and to a lot of other companies to just a lot of different companies what are some of the things you're seeing now out of companies just kind of generally speaking from what you were seeing two years ago that might in your mind, elevate a brand, right? To be one of those, you know, top 100 brands. Like what are some of the things that you're seeing that, that just in the industry at large? Well, I think I focus on innovation, but I am not mean just technology innovation. I mean, innovation as a whole. So, you know, what's different about your menu? Um, like you said, where you were mentioning the drinks, you know, that was a very innovative, innovative thing that those brands had to do because alcohol was such a big part of their check spend. So, I'm seeing a lot of brands trying different things, especially when it comes to like the vegan and plant-based, um, you know, you're seeing a lot of even big brands looking into that. And then I'm seeing a lot of fast, casual, specific brands that are focused more on the vegan experience, vegetarian experience, um, just more specialized instead of broad, I would say. Yeah, I agree with that. I remember years ago at Chipotle, you know, it was always our goal to try to eliminate the veto vote. You know, the veto vote is that sure. fourth person who's in a group of four from the office and they're like, oh, I can't eat a Chipotle because they don't have X or, you know, whatever it might be, or I can't eat here because of that. So you try to appeal to enough people without trying to be everything to everyone, which is a tricky balance. Ooh. Yeah. Just in terms of, do you want to be known for a certain menu? Do you want to be known for a certain experience? Do you, you know, I remember having a having a conversation with a uh, very well-known restaurateur. And I remember having a conversation with him saying, you can't, you can't be everything to everyone. Like 
do you want to be fast casual? Do you want to be QSR? Do you want to be fine dining? But you got to pick one, right? You yeah. can't, and I'm not saying you can't uh, evolve and have a hybrid or, or, you know, that sort of thing. You certainly can do that, but, but you've got to pick your service model. You've got to pick your, I think, I believe you have to pick your primary vehicle of how you're going to be able to take care of the guest. And I think when you stretch yourself too thin or you, you know, you widen it so much that it's just really hard to execute any of those well, I think that's a problem. Yeah, we've always joked around um, at the office about how all the brands want to be fast casual. We will get pitches and things like, here's my fast casual brand. And I'm like, your price point is $5. You're not fast casual. You're QSR. <laughs> but for so long, the fast casual in re- industry was leading the restaurant sector in growth. So everybody wanted to have that effect of, yeah, I'm, I'm higher end, I'm fast casual. But in that's great. But there are still plenty of there's still plenty of room for those QSR brands too. So like you said, you don't have, not everybody has to be fast casual. Now no, the pandemic, don't. yeah, but the pandemic did kind of turn casual restaurants into more of a fast casual experience. I mean, Applebee's, you know, 54th street, all those kinds of brands, they had to take a page from fast casual and start offering to go just to survive. So it's interesting to see um, how they're, hanging out now you know they're still they I when I still see them offering carry out and delivery and third party and all of that even though the pandemic is hopefully in, in the rearview mirror um so I feel, feel like it's had an, a, a permanent change on those types of brands you know it's funny I'm going to open a can of monkeys here uh but uh I have strong opinions on what it is to be fast casual and what it means to not be fast casual. Oh, good. We can debate that. That's oh. one of my favorite things. Oh my gosh. To talk about. Okay. So you can yell at me if you want. I give you okay. in advance. You tell me what you think are the things that make okay. a brand a fast casual. And I'll tell you if I agree. I love this. This is absolutely <laughs> going on an outtake. I'm going to post. Um, okay. If, if you're fast casual, here's what that means to me. And again, I'm spoiled about this from Chipotle from a decade, sure. right? When you have fast casual, when you are fast casual, it's an elevated experience, meaning the food, the cuisine has to be higher end, right? It can't come out of a freezer. It can't come out of a bag, right? It's got to be higher end. The other piece of that is when you pay for your food, you have to get it there. If you don't get it there, I think you're a casual dining concept. Disagree. I- Disagree. And and Disagree. I love that and I love that you are. This is gonna be the best part of this because I feel like when you go to other concepts where look at Miles, Miles just sitting back going, I'm done. I, I have I have nothing to add to this conversation. I don't want to be yelled at. I just grabbed sure. the popcorn and I'm settling in. That's right. So I just feel like that when you say the word fast, there has to be some sort of element of speed to it. Um, not QSR, right? I'm not saying QSR, right. I'm just saying so anyway, that's how I see fast casual. So mine are a fast casual restaurant is a higher price point, yep. a better atmosphere environment and ordering at the counter. And so I, I say like, would I be embarrassed to meet somebody on a date somewhere? Then that's probably not fast casual. Like I would be fine to be like, let's meet at Panera and have a coffee. Let's meet at Starbucks for like a first date, but you're not going to meet somebody at like McDonald's for a first date. Right. So like, I feel like that is kind of where I kind of (laughs) 
put the put the emphasis. But I still think those counter service places where you order at the counter and then you go sit down and four minutes later your food comes out. That's still way faster than a casual dining experience where I have to talk to a server. So that's where I've kind of okay. I, I think drawn the line. Okay. All right. All right. I respect that. I mean, I could see that. <laughs> I mean, I could see that. You know, I do think that when you get into a situation like a like a Panera or whatever, you know, maybe BJ's brew house or whatever, where it takes a little longer, I think you can slide into that casual dining, which there's nothing wrong with that. And again, it's what type of experience do you want? What type of experience are you expecting? And no one expects to go to a Chipotle or, or to a concept like that where, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, Hey, here's my food right so and but it's all those other things you said too which is an elevated experience you know a little bit of higher price point the ambiance the atmosphere is a little different than what you get when you walk into a mcdonald's and i and i absolutely agree with that and i also agree with your earlier point that i think a lot of people want to lump themselves into fast casual um but they haven't earned the right to really do that yet you know um you know and now the new thing is to be fine casual Right. You know, right. Or right. fresh casual or fresh, fresh fine casual, casual or fast casual, casual 3.0. Right? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same thing. It's exactly. It's all PR and it's all yeah. the way they market themselves. So yep. So based on your um your viewpoint of fast casual QSR, so a company like Wingstop. How do you how do you view them as where what what category do you put them in if you have to? So that so that one is kind of we kind of have what we have a hybrid on the cusp. And so I cover that on fastcasual.com, but every once in a while we will also cover it on QSR web because there is some crossover. Um, mm-hmm. I think the price point is high enough and the food is high quality enough to be in fast casual, but since it's so focused quick, 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 you don't you don't really have a focus on dining much i mean there is a little bit but compared to some of the other fast casual brands um but yeah i still would call that fast casual but it'd be you know more on the hybrid cusp yeah. line well, good so bobby know. for unforked for unforked you guys would you say you're fast casual because don't you order at the counter yeah you do you order at the counter and and i would say we're not fast casual because it takes you know because everything's made from scratch and it's made to order when you order it so it's mm-hmm. probably seven to eight minutes you know, before you, yeah. so I'd say we probably, you know, I could argue maybe being on Either the cusp way. too with unforked, um, you know, and I, I mean, I would cover you guys. I do cover you guys on fast casual. Cause I feel like the three, I it's agree. the three things, elevated food, yep. elevated experience, yep. and I'm not ordering with a server. So I'll get pitches a lot and I, I don't know. So I'll say, do you, do you have servers? Or right. you order at the counter, and if they tell me they have servers, then no, I'm it's casual yep. dining. But if they well, say they ha- they order at the counter, then I'm like, okay, we'll go for it. Yeah, that's a really great great point. I think we're on the cusp because of the other things you mentioned, right? The elevated price point. You know, we don't have you know we don't have bundles. We don't have combos. Everything's a la carte, right? It's it's right. it's it's all it's all made from scratch. So we've got the quality piece there too. But because we're making it when you order it, right? That lead time is a little longer in terms of when you get your food. But yeah, I think, you know, we definitely, as much as I hate this term, you know, I mean, I like to think of more of that fine casual, you know, segment, but really it's, I know exactly, exactly. (laughs) really, really it's fast casual. Um, But no, I I mean, I think you're right. I, I, 
I think you have such a unique experience in seeing all these brands, all these different companies, all these concepts out there that, I mean, you see it definitely more globally than we do. Uh, and, you know, you get a chance to go to these, you know, these other markets and see these other, see these other concepts. So, which kind of, kind of really wants to lead me into this question, which is what, what is your favorite? And like, you live here in Kansas city and mm -hmm. you spend a great deal of time here in Kansas city. So, um, and obviously you're on the road too, but, but when you're home, like, where do you like to go? What, what is your go-to order? Like if you had to pick a favorite hometown restaurant, if you can say it, like what's your favorite hometown restaurant and like, what is your go-to order? So it just depends on my, what experience I'm looking for. Okay. Right. So if I'm wanting to go for okay. like a, like a date night, or, you know, I'm going to want to go somewhere like society, which is downtown and you know, the, it's really good food. It turns into a nightclub after 10. I'm right. But if I, I'm writing this down. Society. Down yes. Society. So fun. It, it's beautiful in there. You, you feel like you're in Miami. I'll just make sure um, I'm but, gone before 10. I'll, I'll just make sure I'm gone before 10 and I'll be fine. So. You'll be fine. Yes. The food is great. But, you know, I have, I live in Liberty, Missouri. There's a local bar here called The Landing that yes. is locally owned. And I teach beer yoga there the last Saturday of the month. Every Saturday at nine thirty in the Look morning. Miles. So, Look at Miles. Miles yeah, beer yoga. He's like, like, what is what is? You beer literally yoga. hold. You literally hold your beer, and I take you through yoga poses. I have a live band behind me that, and then we do it for an hour. And people spill their drinks, and it's super fun, and it's a very local fun experience. The food is good. We we stay and have lunch after that. So that's a different kind of experience. My favorite local fast casual would be the mix. With it's a Kansas City yep. based. I'm sure Bobby, you've heard of it, the MIXX. Yep. Um, I wish we had one closer to my house in the Northland, um, but it's just a, a salad concept that is locally owned here that I, I love. Um, but so yeah, I just I love food and I love eating out and I love all of that. So I just have different experiences. I have different go tos. So like we all do, I, I guess. Yeah. So if I come to beer yoga and I feel like my beer go. is too full. All Miles hears is beer. And I, and, I, <laughs> and I drink it and I drink too much. Can I get my beer refilled? Yeah, so we have what we call a beer. You guys, this is a serious question. I have a beer well, it's goddess. it's very serious. No, I have a beer. Very serious for Miles. Now we have a beer goddess, not a beer bitch. We have a beer goddess. And while you're on your mat doing your pose, if you're running low, you just raise your hand and our beer goddess comes over and asks you what you want. And she goes up to the bar, gets your drink, fills it up. Like, I don't like beer. So I drink either um, mimosas with hardly, like I say a mimosa share a style. And they know that is a mimosa with like a tip of orange juice. It's yeah, but, yeah, but aren't you a wine girl? Yeah, yeah. I love, I love, I love everything. The only thing I don't like is beer. So yeah, I'll drink champagne or vodka or whatever during beer yoga, but it's really great for people who are new to yoga because it takes the edge off. It's fun. You, you know, nobody's like looking at you. People spill each other, you know. I was going to say, everyone's trying to hold on to their beer. Nobody's looking at, the, at exactly. anyone. Exactly. Yeah. And then if you do fall over, you can just blame the alcohol. So it's a win-win. <laughs> I feel like we're missing that out here in Vegas. Like, uh, of I know. all things, you know, it's like, what? Why do we not have beer yoga? I'm thinking about doing it at one of our events, like at the Fast Casual Executive Summit. Maybe, you know, we start things off with, with some beer yoga. <laughs> that is a terrifying yet great idea. So, And then everybody has to get on stage and do their sessions half drunk. I mean, yeah, I think that would be amazing. People might know, like, some of them really might open better. up. 
I don't know. Some of them yeah. might be better. Yes. I know. I think yes. people would really open up and tell it, give us the real inside scoop. Exactly. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God. Fear yoga. This is so good. Um, so, so Bobby, you'll have to come. It's actually this Saturday. It's the last uh, Saturday of every month in Liberty, settled. 9 30 a.m. You're like 20 minutes from me. Oh, I know. I'm close to you. Oh my God. <laughs> hey, Bobby, I'll, I mean, I'll, you know, virtual in and we can do a podcast with you. Uh, yeah, that. I could. You know. We could go live on. I mean, I usually do go live on FaceTime. So you realize I know nothing thing. about yoga. I know that's nothing. the point. Okay. That's I, the point. Yes. I tell you, I tell you exactly what to do. It's You're not a hard for this, Bobby. Come on. Yeah. My I even say, you know, drink at your own, drink at your own pace, you know, drink as much or as little as you I, want. And I don't have to have beer, right? I can have something. No, else. you can, you can have whatever you want. Bourbon yeah. yoga. Excellent. You can have my, my aunt comes and drinks tequila, straight tequila. Like no, nothing else. Yeah, I love she your is, aunt. That's, yeah. She's awesome. That's awesome. She's like four um, foot 10. <laughs> 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 when you when you think about the industry as a whole, and again, you cover so much, you write so much. Oh, I want to go back to writing too, but you write so much. And, and obviously you're always on the phone, email conversations, all those things. So when you think about the, is when you think about the industry as a whole now, two years after the pandemic, and as you said, hopefully we're exiting the pandemic, which we all hope that when you think about the industry as a whole, not just in one particular segment, but what are you curious about? Like what makes you curious about the future of just really the restaurant industry? Well, I'm definitely curious to see where we are going to go with all the robots and robotics and um, how we're going to balance that with the human workforce. Because I do think, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, robots kill jobs. But from the position I'm in, you know, I've seen every day, all these in industry leaders saying we're not killing jobs. We, we, you know, we have the robot to wash dishes and do dangerous, boring jobs. Yeah. And then we keep our employees to do other things like, you know, to talk to customers and better the customer experience. And I believe that. And I think to me, that makes total sense because I've been writing about this industry for so long. But if you go talk to like a person who doesn't work in this industry or even in the retail industry, they have a negative connotation about AI and robots taking over human jobs. So I think the industry, the restaurant industry can do a better job explaining that, no, we're not, you know, we're not cutting all the human labor. We're just, you know, training differently and giving them other jobs that they will like more and that will better the customer experience at the same time. Yeah. You, I mean, you're spot on. So, you know, we are working with Miso Robotics and, and working on the the that side of it in our kitchens at the fryers specifically mm -hmm. because people don't like to stand over fryers and cook chicken wings for six hot. hours or eight hours yeah. it's hot it, your back hurts you know it's and so you know the the robotics part there takes that job that no one really wants to do and so when you think about that and you you transform your work environment into to really only jobs that people will enjoy, enjoy doing, whether it's, you know, guest facing out, interacting there or at the end where you're, you know, hey, hey here's your food, have a great day. You're getting those great experiences instead of sitting over a hot fryer. Um, and then the job creation is kind of as we look at it is, yes, the robot is taking maybe a, um, a spot cooking the chicken wings, but someone has to come and repair that that 
that robot and, and it has to be the it. robot specialist so we're creating yeah. new career paths exactly. new, new ways to be trained so higher, you know higher paying you know other right. end jobs that get created from this new technology so right so i see that as a win-win and um i just hope you know i hope everybody else kind of catches on <laughs> and, and well, we can kind of leave that story behind where oh yeah the robots taking jobs no they're not yeah, right. Doing it differently now. And my, my my robot won't care if I put a Mizzou jersey on it every day, you know, <laughs> or or out here in Vegas I slide a Chiefs jersey on it. You know, yeah. it, it's happy to wear it. Um, right. And, you know, it shows up every single day to wear that Chiefs jersey. Okay. You know, you know, it also really makes me think about not just the having the robots and the robotics and all those things. It's it's also just really innovating in the kitchens in general, like really getting the best possible equipment that we can. I mean, we've got a rationale oven at Unforked and these, these ovens are, are expensive, but they are amazing. You know, this is the, this is the one that they use um, at the um, real famous restaurant in New York. Oh, Thomas Keller. Um, what's it called? The French Laundry. So he has this rationale oven in there. And actually we saw him at a, at a show a few years ago, pre-COVID where he had this rationale oven and he was, you know, and, and, you know, and this is where I had to evolve because I was always the guy who's like, don't give me an oven with a picture of an item on it and press it. Like we need, you know, we need to make sure we use real cooking skills and techniques and the finesse that it takes to cook. And that's true. You know, we want to do all that, but if it's an oven that'll help us produce a consistent, awesome product every single time adjusting the humidity inside of the oven all those things why wouldn't we use that right and so yeah. i just think that that that's something that i know i've had to evolve in in terms of how i, I think work. that's hard though i think that all these um, events that we host and all these sessions and advice from people i think that's the number one question that they're always asked like how do i know what sh what should i spend my money on is that oven going to be worth it how do i know if that oven's going to be worth it is that um you know piece of mobile ordering technology that goes into my pos system does that really work is is it should i spend my money on that right right exactly and and you you are 100% right it's a risk right i mean i think if you have someone though who is at least an ambassador for it and who's someone who's a proven restaurateur who can speak to it i think that probably adds a little bit of street cred but still yes. at the end of, at the end of the day it is a check you have to write <laughs> yeah that's what we're always trying to get our um, operators on to say like okay say specifically what platform do you use what oven do you use it do you like it um trying to nail them down to give specific examples can, can, can be hard sometimes because people don't want to make anybody else mad. But I think our attendees really appreciate when they can get specific examples like that oven you mentioned, you know, right. that's a specific example that someone else might be like, oh, okay, well, if it works run forked, maybe it'll work for us. Right. But I think you're right though. I think you need the details. Like, so why do you like it? You know, what's the, what's the win, you know, what's the labor savings or what, you know, like whatever it is, right. How do you, how do you categorize that as a win? for you if you if you use a rational oven or if you use the woodstone grill or whatever it is um yeah i think that is because i think people are predisposed to come in to be cynical when mm -hmm. they look at equipment right if they have somebody up there you know hey, i have this rational oven i happen to be a world famous chef you know thomas keller i use this oven in my restaurants i think people are predisposed sometimes to like really like really to use that yeah oven? like so but you're right i think it's 
it's just an evolution, uh, I think, for the industry and for everyone else. So, um, so tell me about journalism. So, you went to school in Warrensburg. Yes, I have a journalism degree, and my dream was to. I've always wanted to live in Kansas City. I've never wanted to like live somewhere far away. So my dream job was to work at the Kansas City Star. Um, that's what I wanted to do. Um, I ended up doing that a, a couple of years out of college and um, got laid off. So that really sucked. <laughs> so, and, and, but that's how, you know, it was the end of the world when that happened. I, along with 600 other journalists, it, you know, got laid off about 18 years, gosh, 17 years ago, probably. And, but that led me to where I am now. I mean, I ended up working for NetWorld Media Group. Um, who knew, you know, when I started there so many years ago that it would have led to this. But yeah, that's what I kind of always wanted to do. Journalism has always been a passion. I've always loved writing um, all different kinds of, you know, topics. I love to write about health and fitness, fashion, food. Um, and then I really kind of found my niche with Fast Casual when I started writing uh, writing specifically about food, I, I figured, okay, well, I love this. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Going to do it as long as I can. You know, I love it. Um, you know, I'm a writer too. I love to write. Um, I was on the high school editor. I mean, I was like the editorial editor of the high school. Yeah. I, I do not have a journalism degree, but early on, I realized my love for writing. And, and I just think that the words that we use are so powerful. And I think that the written word is just as powerful, if not more powerful sometimes because people read your words differently. Right. Right. Uh, you know, you write an article one way, but that's the great thing about writing. Just like it's true of any art, I think music or whatever is that people hear it differently. It hits them differently. And, and uh, you know, I can't tell you how much of an experience I've had with that where, you know, people have read something I've written and been like, Oh, did you mean that? And I'm like, well, actually, that's not what I meant, but I'm glad that you got that from that, right? Right. I think that's, that's even better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you, know, you want that, you know, you want that to, you know, be their personal thing that they take away from it. And, and uh, so I just love that. I love that uh, you went to school for journalism. Now you're doing it. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that we have, I mean, journalists have a, a big responsibility. I mean, I know in the past, especially the past five years, they've, you know, the industry has been under fire for lack of objectivity and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. that's, I feel like that really frustrates me because I feel like most journalists that I know, and I know many are doing their very best to report right. what right. the news is and not try to spin it. Um, you know, I think we're just out here trying to do the best we can. We're getting, we're reporting on the information that we're giving. Now, when someone like we just, we can, we can report what they tell us. So if somebody quits their role and they tell us it's for this reason, but we kind of know it's not, I mean, right. what right. am I, what are we going to do? Am I going to write? Well, I don't think that that's my opinion, but right. no, I'm reporting the news as to what was told to me. So I think journalists get a, a bad rap in that area sometimes. I agree. And, and, and I'd like to blame, you know, Twitter for that sometimes, you know, because oh, yeah. it could be a <laughs> I mean, it could be a dumpster fire on there. Oh, just, you know, oh, um, so as we kind of wrap this up, Shara, what is next for you? And really what's next for Fast Casual? So, well, coming up, we have the Fast Casual Top 100 Gala coming up in May, um, where we're going to recognize the industry's top 75 brands and the 25 top executives 
I'm so excited about that. We're back in person. Finally, it's this amazing gala where you get all dressed up and um, the only people who are invited are the actual brands who have won. And then we have a, a couple sponsors, of course, that will be there. But it's an award ceremony, cocktail party, really nice dinner. So we'll have that. I'm excited about that. We also have the Fast Casual Executive Summit coming up in October, which you're a speaker at, Bobby. So I'm excited to have you in Indianapolis for that. Fantastic. Um, yeah. yeah, so we just have a lot of wonderful things going on. Um, we're really focused on the events, bringing people together, bringing you know operators together who can learn from one another and um, be on stage cool. together and talk. But our event is more focused on those connections. So you know you're gonna you're gonna have lunch with each other and you're gonna have cocktails with one another and you're gonna get to talk. And it's a small the our events you know they're no more than between three and five hundred people. So you get to know everybody there. It's not like a big trade show floor where you're hoping someone is just going to stumble onto your product or whatever. You're really getting to make those connections. So, and that's like my favorite thing to do is bring people together. Like I call myself the director of fun. I'm always like, let's, let's go here. Let's bring 20 people to the restaurant. My boss is always like, oh God, there's Shara. Don't invite Shara to dinner because 25 people are going to come with her. And I'm like, well, I, I want to include everybody. Everybody needs to be invited. You know, there's a spot for everybody. So it, it, it's pretty fun, but I do that in my social life at home, but, and also in my, my career is just, you know, making sure everybody feels like they're welcome and having a good time together. Shara, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank for you. Us. Uh, we really, yeah, are. we really appreciate it. Yeah. Love your perspective and, and, you know, what you do and what you bring to the industry and because you are someone that that unites other, you know, unites us and, and keeps us interested and, and keeps us informed. And, and it's amazing. So thank you for what you well, do. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I love this industry, even though I'm not a restaurateur, I feel like I'm a part of the, the restaurant industry. So I love it. And I'm, I will probably finish my career here. Hopefully. <laughs> I think that's a really good point though. I just, before we go, I, I, you know, we need ambassadors. We need people like you, Shara. We really do. And, you know, you're exactly right, Miles. Like, we need people who can cross party lines, if you will, right? And, right. you know, can talk to people in every single, every single segment and be able to get everyone together and share, share the things that, that are really working. I think that's something that's so powerful when we go to a conference, you know, like if, you know, if we go to RFIS or, you know, where we go, Fast Casual Summit, it's, it's you know, people can share what's working and what's not. And yeah, I, I've loved that. And I love always said that about the industry that the restaurant industry, but the fast casual industry specifically, it's always a family reunion whenever you go to these events mm -hmm. and yeah. people are always willing to share advice experiences. They are wanting other people to succeed. I love that they don't think, okay, if, if brand B succeeds and that's taking money off of my, off of my table. So it's, yeah. it's, if they succeed, we succeed, we all succeed together. So yeah. I, I love that mentality that that industry has. By the way, the worst I'll let you know. ever is QSR Plus. That, that is, doesn't exist. That doesn't QSR exist. Plus? People no one knows. I, no one knows. It's so I'm like, dumb. I'm like, what the hell is QSR Plus? Like that's It's fast casual. QSR Plus is fast casual. There you go. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for validating that. You're welcome. <laughs> Is there anything we haven't asked you that we should that you want to just uh, like share? Nope, I just no, I don't think so. I really just wanted to talk about the fast casual talk 100 and the summit. So we're good. We get, did all well, that. 
this is really good. And I know Miles is going to have to go back and play the whole thing because he hasn't heard anything since you talked about beer yoga. So, <laughs> Miles is going to have to. I've actually been practicing. <laughs> yeah. That would be my dream if you guys came to my beer yoga class and we got video clips of it. Oh, that would be awesome. Okay. Oh, so, that would definitely go on the fast casual Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation on the Cutting Onions podcast today with Shara Kanzler, the editor of fastcasual.com and the VP of events for NetWorld Media. We really enjoyed Shara's unique perspective on the restaurant industry and what she sees as the evolution of the industry as we move forward now as we exit COVID. So thanks again for joining us. We hope you really enjoyed it. Next week, we'll have another great conversation for you on the Cutting Onions podcast, and we look forward to seeing you then. Thank you.